Well, good morning. morning. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 3. We're going to be in John chapter 3 for one more week after this. We're going to be looking at verses 14 to 21. So if, if you would, once you have that, would you stand to your feet? Appreciate so much uh, Brother Jeff bringing the word to us uh, last week and as I was on vacation the week before and he is taking a much needed vacation himself this week. So we appreciate him introducing this conversation with Nicodemus and we're going to see a transition in the conversation and we'll talk about that when we get there. I want you to see we're going to begin reading in verse 14. We're going to read down to verse 21. John 3 Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. And we are blessed If we gathered this morning to sing your praises and heard your word read and then went on our way, we would not deserve it. But God, we thank you that you have ordained the gathering of your people, the proclamation and the explanation and the response to your word today, Lord, that we would respond biblically. And in submission to your word today, that those watching online would even though they may be whether on vacation or sick or at home or in quarantine, Lord, that you would kiss your people on the cheek today to show them how much they are loved Would you bless those today? Would you reveal yourself to those who do not believe? Would you convict the world now of sin and bring us to repentance, Lord? As a people, would you save church members, God? As you did the most religious man in that community. Thank you for the gospel that can penetrate to the lowest hell. Into the highest reaches of science and academia and bring salvation and joy and life. Do it now, God, through the preaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You could be seated. So, uh, years ago, when I was a, an elder or pastor at, at Parkwood, a girl that I dated right after I became an elder found, found out, it was a girl I went to high school with, she found out that I was a pastor. She only knew Stephen from high school, you see. Well, that would have been many years ago. And she responded, Stephen, a pastor? You ever had that experience that the people that you might run into or talk to or see know the person that you used to be? You oftentimes feel like that is still disqualifying you from declaring the gospel is still a, a burden over your head. Maybe even keeping us from enjoying simply living for Christ. Maybe you think you have to pay God back for the shame and the hypocrisy. Imagine if Nicodemus felt that way. You see, the key to our section today is not really John 3.16. It is John chapter 3 verses 14 and 15. Verse 15 is our north star. We're going to keep coming back to that today. Because listen, no matter where you came from, no matter who you were in high school, we are the whosoever. I can't say whoever. I was telling my guy, the King James, that whosoever. The whosoever willeth, you know. The whosoever cometh. It's in there. We are the whosoever. Who is Jesus really for? Is, is, is hard to tell now, isn't it, in the midst of all the conflict and confusion of our day? Who did Jesus really come to save? Did he, did he come to save the poor and the oppressed, the uneducated? Or did He come to save the Nicodemuses of the world, the rich and the elite and the educated? Did He come to save the irreligious? Or maybe just the Jews? Or maybe just the white man? This section by far is the most popular of anybody. You know, we... Watched, if you ever watched a football game, you saw this verse right between the goals. John 3.16. There's a danger when that happens, isn't it? There's a danger with well-known passages. Listen to this sentence here. Try to grab both dangers. You cannot offer anyone the love of God without the cross of Christ. And you cannot experience the love of God except through repentance and faith in God's only Son. That's the importance of context, isn't it? That we have oftentimes heard John 3.16 without John 3.14 and 15 and without John 3.18. We cannot offer the love of God without the cross of Christ. There is no John 3.16 with no verse 14 and 15. There's just not. There's no love manifested. And you can't experience if you do not repent and put your faith in God's only Son, the danger is that we think we can give people the love of God without the cross. And we think that all people, just because they're Baptists or just because they're Southern or just because they're whatever, are Christians. Because we have a membership card on them. If they have never responded to the Lord in repentance and faith, they are not one of His. If they are not been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're not saved. This is the power of the gospel and the importance of preaching the God's word in context. You see, John's 
connecting this, there was a sign, two signs that led to a conversation. And then there's a conversation that leads to a summation. We get into the conversation, the end of the conversation, and the summation today. Remember the two signs? You have the new wine and the new temple. The person of Christ, his person and work, this new that is better than the old. We have now Christ himself as the object of our faith and devotion. He is the new temple. Then John brings up of every conversation he could have brought up that Jesus had, the first person he chooses would have been the most religious and the most respected in that community. I ask you to answer this question on your own today, maybe in growth group. If we give Nicodemus a role and a responsibility in our community now, what would be his role? He's just liable to have been a growth group leader or even a pastor yet lost. So, Signs led to this conversation. This conversation with the religious man. Jeff told us a lot about that last week. And then we, now we go from a conversation to a summation. And so let's not miss what we learned last week. Two truths that I have to boil them down. The absolute need of all peoples. Everyone is dead in trespasses and sin. Everybody is born walking in darkness. Therefore all people must be born again. We learned last week that the only way you could be born again is through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. We also learned another inescapable truth. The work of the Holy Spirit is not our role. It's His. What is ours? The proclamation of the gospel so that they might believe. We have the work of the Holy Spirit. We have our work, the proclamation of the gospel. This leads to salvation. This morning we just add two more Simple truths. The source of salvation is the love of God the Father. What we've been singing about today. We should never hesitate for one second to tell a lost person that God loves them. Listen to Ezekiel 33, 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Listen to who he's talking to. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Question. Where are the wicked? The wicked are in the house. God desires that the wicked repent and be saved. There is, you see, the love of God. The truth I want you to see today. The source of our salvation. There's also the second truth, and we want to add today, the necessary response. And there's only two. There is belief, and there is unbelief. There is a belief that leads to following righteousness. There is an unbelief that leads to following wickedness. And a belief that leads to following wickedness is unbelief. It's important today. There's only two responses. The main idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals the love of God. It calls for a response. Let's look at the first. I want you to see three things. The gospel of Jesus Christ reveals the love of God. I want you to see the reality of the love of God. The demonstration of the love of God and the purpose. The reality, the demonstration, 
and the purpose. First, the reality. We have to start with John 3.16. And then let's back up into verse 14 and 15. Verse 16. The reality. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. I want you to notice first the four. You see that? The word for? That is a connecting word. It makes John 3.16 impossible to separate from verses 14 and 15. Really, honestly, from the whole context, which is John chapter 3. But very importantly, we must, we have no, nothing to say. We have a dangerous message if we do not connect John 3.16 with verse 14 and 15. Verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You see, Nicodemus didn't get the first object lesson. He didn't get the whole born again by the Spirit thing. And it wasn't because Jesus was a bad teacher. (laughs) It was the deficiency in Nicodemus. He didn't get it. So Jesus recalls another Old Testament example that Nicodemus would have understood. Numbers chapter 21. Numbers 21, do you remember the cycle of Israel, the rebellious and the complaining and the whining and the, we've been better off just to be in there. You know, that constant, it was back as it always was. And do you remember what God did? He sent a bunch of poisonous snakes and started biting them and they started dying. I looked, at, I looked it up. I want to see if I can't say it. Ophidiophobia. If you didn't have ophidiophobia, it might be might really murdered that. The fear of snakes, you would after this experience. Can you imagine how many, how many serpents, they called them fiery serpents, it would take to be biting everybody. But they started dying and they, they came in contriteness to Moses to help us. You remember the bronze serpent was lifted up. If these dying Israelites would only but look on the pole with the serpent, they would live. This served as the second object lesson to teach, about, teach Nicodemus that he too, as a religious man, must be born again. Notice one guy said it this way. The feeblest look brought cure to an Israelite, and the weakest faith, if true and sincere, brings salvation to sinners. That's good news today. The Son of Man is the one who is going to be lifted up. Jesus is saying this. This is Jesus here in verse 14 and 15, talking to Nicodemus. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Our growth group is going to talk about that a little bit more. But what we're doing is every time it comes up, I want to build a little bit on the Son of Man for you. This was an important term. Nicodemus would have connected this with Daniel. This person, you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about... That the Son of Man is a mediator. He fulfilled the Old Testament. He fulfilled the office of prophet, priest, and king. And today we get that even made clearer. That the Son of Man is the giver. He is the provider of what we need. He is the provider and the giver of eternal life. He would willingly be lifted up. The term uh, lifted up has a double meaning. It means to be exalted and to be glorified in a very real real way. There is an exaltation to the cross and there is an exaltation to the throne. And he comes back. 
It will come back as the king. But here, he's speaking primarily of the cross here. And if growth group leaders pay attention here, this is the connection between the suffering servant of Isaiah 52 and 53. The servant would be lifted up. He would be exalted first on the cross. He would suffer for the sins of his people. Why? Why does the Son of Man have to be lifted up? Why would he have to be executed? Because, verse 16, because of the love of God for rebels like me and you. It is that they might believe. Back to the snakes. The reality is some people looked to the bronze serpent and was saved. Other people looked at their situation and themselves and perished. That's basically everything that John's about to explain now. The words lifted up appears two more times in the gospel. And every time it's talking about the cross and the message of salvation. Mark 10, 45 puts it this way. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. How would he serve? By giving his life as a ransom for many. So between verse 15 and verse 16, we go from conversation to summation. And I know this is in red and it's in quotation marks and Jesus... John may well have been quoting him, but he goes from verse 16 down to the end of the chapter to explain what the conversation that he just got through telling us about. For God so loved the world. What does so mean? God so loved. Does It either means intensity or demonstration. It either means God's love was so big, and we've just got through singing about that. That would be true. Christian Standard Bible, let me read the way it interprets it, it the way it translates the verse 16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His only one and only Son. Do you see that? In this way. That's the nature of the way God so loved the world is being used. It's connected to verse 14 and 15. How do we know God loves us? He lifted up His own Son. It is a demonstration. The reality of God's love means what it means because of the demonstration of God's love. Isn't it wonderful that we have God's Word? But what if we have a Word from God, a book, but no cross. We have a God who say He loves us, but when someone asks you, how do I know He loves me? You would say, well, it says He does. It's not what He's saying. He's saying, we know God loves us because He demonstrated it when He lifted up His only Son. Now that is Christianity, and that is distinct from the rest of the world. Do you remember the time? I was trying to remember the first time. It's impossible because I'm old. The first time someone other than your parents told you that they loved you. Do you remember, you remember the feeling? You know, like, 
That little girl, that little boy says it for the first time, and you didn't know. You felt, felt that way, too. You weren't really sure about it, but, you know. I think it was probably kindergarten. You remember when they had the, I love you, do you love me, check yes, no, and they hand it to you, and <gasps> you know, word. Here's the question. How long did it take for them to demonstrate something just the opposite of what they said? <laughs> it, normally, if I think about my iPad, it didn't take long. God's love is known to us because the Father demonstrated it. God gave. And listen, I know you've done this before. You know, tell one of your kids, you know, we're going we're gonna to take some stuff and we're going to help some folks to so go and, and get some nice stuff and bring it out here, some of your toys. What are they going to bring? What are they going to bring? Right? They're going to bring that puzzle, 10 pieces missing. Right? They're going to give that away. Let's, let's, let somebody else put that puzzle together. I can't stand that, by the way. Kids miss all the puzzle pieces. And there's two pieces missing. Let's give that away. Let's give that wore-out truck that won't roll no more. I don't like that Matchbox car anywhere, though. The axles are bent on it. Let me give that away. Let me give out the... It's not what God did. He didn't give us a used toy that he no longer played with, but something that is precious and priceless. One person said it this way. Salvation is free. It's not cheap. It's not cheap. God's love is not amazing because the world is so big. God's love is amazing because the world is so bad. This is amazing grace. God loved us before we were saved. God loved us while we were enemies. Remember 1 John 4.19? We only love why? Because He first loved us. Romans 5, 8, God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were still rebels, Christ died for us. God's love. The cross reveals not only the love of God, but it reveals the righteousness of God. If you doubt God's hatred for sin, look to the cross. And if you this morning, if you're listening online, and if you doubt, if you're doubting the love of God for you, look to the cross, for it is not you that is hanging there, but His own Son. The reality is in the demonstration, and there is a purpose, the purpose of God's love. Look at verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. We, we get another good word here. He is not a, he's a giving God. He's also a sending God. You see that? It's a missional thrust to that. God sends His Son. He sends Him on a mission for a purpose to accomplish something. What is that? This provision. This demonstration that was accomplished on the cross. What was the purpose? It says eternal life. Eternal life was the purpose. Eternal life is contrasted against a word that's over and over in this text, condemnation. And keep in mind, John is explaining now, and he uses this word condemnation to explain the contrast, the other option from belief. Verse 15 is our, is our North Star. That whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Verse 17 then, 
as is the commentary, if you will, on that. John's commentary, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. Eternal life now is connected with salvation. Condemnation equals perishing. Eternal life equals salvation. You see, there's only two options. Who is the world? For God so loved the world. Well, they are the whoever of verse 15. <laughs> whoever believes. The, the world for John, remember we've talked about this already. The world for John is the unbelieving. The unbelieving. Verse 14 says that's everyone who believes is saved. The word whoever, or as I like to say it, whosoever, is important. It just simply means everyone, without exception, that believes will be saved. This is the width and the breadth of God's salvation. So, this is important, brothers and sisters, that we come back to a basic book like this, to a basic chapter like this, and ask the question, why did God send His Son? Because we have those that we appreciate. And we even appreciate some of what they say. But they say God sent His Son to heal us of our diseases. That's why He came. So that I'll be healthy. God sent His Son to overthrow oppression so that we might all be free. That's why He came. He came that I might be comfortable that I might retire at 62 and move to the beach and collect seashells till Jesus comes. That's why He came. No, brothers and sisters, by the foundational purpose, God came to save sinners of whom we all are chief. That's why He came. When He comes again, there will not be one ounce of sickness left, not one ounce of oppression that won't be dealt with. But today, brothers and sisters, Jesus came and was lifted up so that we might come from darkness to light. From condemnation to eternal life. And if you miss that, brothers and sisters, you may free someone from slavery and send them straight to hell. The message, brothers and sisters, is first salvation through eternal life. This gospel, this gospel in John 3 calls for a response. A response. Everybody responds, brothers and sisters. There's a reason why we don't call it an invitation and we call it a response. Verse 18. Whoever, hard not to say whosoever there. Whoever, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But listen. Now talk to me. I'm going to stop here. I want you to finish the sentence. The word here. But whoever does not believe is what? Condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I say it again. You, you do not have a John 3.16 without a verse 14 and 15. And you do not have the whole message of John 3.16 without verse 18. There, because the gospel message does not stand in neutrality. It is not static. It requires and demands a response. We see the two responses. Do you see it? Belief. An unbelief. Belief. An unbelief. I don't know if you've ever read this book. I, I really like autobiographies. I, I like to read from somebody's own mouth about what, what happened. And about their experiences. Uh, John G. Patton. If you've never read his autobiography, I would highly recommend it. 
He was a missionary to the New Hebrides. They were, they were cannibals. And he went there and lived among them. I would challenge you parents, go Google New Hebrides and see what the Christian population of those group of pagans, cannibals are today. I would just challenge you to do that. Listen to what he said. Missionary there. He was searching the local language to find a satisfactory word for the word belief. And their language didn't have that word belief. So he was trying to find it. You ever thought about that? Missionaries trying to, what's the word for right word belief? So one day after a hunt, he fell down exhausted into a lawn chair outside his tent. One of the natives observed, it is good to stretch yourself out and rest when you're tired. Immediately, Peyton seized on the words, stretch out and rest, and translated that for the New Testament word, believe. It's pretty good, isn't it? To believe in Christ is to, is to take hold of Him. It is to literally put your faith in Him where you stretch out and rest in Christ and Him alone. This is the response to believe. To believe equals, you see it in verse 18, no condemnation. Now, to condemn means to judge a person to be guilty. To condemn is is to be liable of a punishment. So, the positive side of that, to believe is to be not condemned. It is to be guilty no longer. It is to have your sin removed. It is to presently, actively have nothing held against you. That's what to believe brings. In other words, what John is teaching us, Paul would call justification. (laughs) What he calls justification, John is simply saying, for those who believe, no condemnation, no guilt, right standing, nothing against you, all is paid. Martin Luther. Now, foundationally, the faith which justify is not the faith which includes charity, but the faith which lays hold on Christ. He's not saying we don't love. Saying, remember, faith is alone, but faith is never alone. We believe when we lay hold on Christ. That is the response, at least one. Notice what he connects with belief, though. Look at verse 19. By the way, this is just simple exposition. I'm not telling you anything that the Bible's not saying. So how do we need to know what belief is? Look what it connects with verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their works are evil. So let's turn that on its head for just a minute because we're talking about belief first and then unbelief. To be born again is to love light, to love truth, to love holiness. Or you could just say to be born again is to love Christ. To love what he loves is to love the way he loves. Why? Because he's given us a new nature. That was last week. A new nature we didn't have before. Look at verse 21. It's the first part. But whoever does what is true comes what? To the light. So we have this understanding that belief is necessarily attached 
to that which you follow. Belief brings following Christ. Means loving truth. Pursuing holiness. Not to be right, but because you are right. Believe. But there is another response. It is unbelief. And I dare say, we often skip over this. We tell people that when they die, if they do not repent, they will be condemned. Brothers and sisters, let us read this text together. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Him is what? He's condemned already. That person is not in a state of neutrality with God. That person is, is part of the fall. What was the result of fall, the fall? Condemnation. All people, all people were expelled from God's presence and placed under a death sentence. Now, I want to be really clear right here because I mean to be. Because this is what John is trying to tell this religious man who thought he was okay. No cross, no Jesus. Death is still coming. One morning, the sun will come up and you won't see it. The birds will sing, but you won't hear it. There'll be a vacancy at your job, but it won't take long and they will feel it. The recliner you love to sit in will be empty for a little bit, but sooner or later, somebody else will sit in it. They will gather at a plot in the ground and you will be in that plot. They will go back to the church or to the house and they will eat your favorite pie and you won't be there to enjoy it. If you're a wealthy or famous, they may pause for a second. They may even lower the flag to half staff. But then they will simply go on about their life. Brothers and sisters, night is coming. And no ingenuity, no cleverness, and no religiosity can bring salvation from the coming night. This is the conversation. This is why he picked Nicodemus first. Because it's meant to lead the reader to say, how can I be saved? Jesus said, I came to be lifted up. That you may have eternal life. We stood at a Gaston Memorial Park this week to pick out our own grave plots. It's just reality. It is when you know Christ that you can see that only in Christ is that day my victory. It's my victory. I mean, we didn't do that in dread. I just looked out at all those grave plots and say, not all of those are victory. To not believe is not to eventually one day be placed in a state of condemnation. To not believe is to realize and to pronounce to the world, I am condemned. I am in a state of condemnation. And Jesus Christ came as our only hope. Eternal life then is contrasted to eternal perishing. Hell is a real place. An eternal place as real as the new heaven and the new earth that will last forever, is the eternal place away from the favorable presence of God. The difference between eternal perishing and eternal life is belief in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the verdict. It's 
what it says. Look at verse 19. This is the judgment. In other words, saying this is the verdict. This is the way it is. Light has come into the world. Isn't that good news? And people love darkness rather than light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. At the end of the day, brothers and sisters, unbelief is to deny Christ is worthy of your allegiance, therefore to pass judgment on yourself. Sometimes we would ponder, if we think about the night is coming, we would say, who would dare think that they can fix that themselves? Imagine you're gotten bitten by the snake and you're dying. You tell you're dying, but why? Because you're dying. You say, I can fix this myself. Why would anybody do that? You would say, why wouldn't they just look up? Answer. People love who they are. People love what they're doing. They don't want anybody to tell them what to do. You ask me why people have left a church over the course of years, I will say almost exclusively, predominantly, it is because they hate sovereignty. They hate it when we say about to talk about the Lordship of Christ. Why? Because Lordship puts their finger on whether you have believed or whether you don't believe. And if you have not believed, no matter what you have prayed, no matter what you have signed, no matter what class you have attended, if you have not surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you are not saved. He loves darkness. That's why they don't believe. They love wickedness. James Montgomery Boyce uses an illustration of a father and son throwing a ball to each other. <laughs> and so, you know, where's John? John, I'm trying to stay in the camera here. And, uh, but, you know, it's like me and Mike throwing the ball and, the, you know, the, the ball just goes over there. So what does the father do? A little bit closer. He finally, by the time he gets about two or three foot, he realizes it's not the distance. It's the child's aim that's the problem. Nicodemus had to realize it wasn't the fact that he didn't understand God's word, for he did. Here's what he must realize. Isaiah chapter 64. Nicodemus needed to realize this. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the land of our iniquities. You, like Nicodemus, like me, must come to a point that we realize that all our goodness is filthy rags. And the only thing we could do is repent and put our faith in the one who is lifted up for us. We do not give invitations here. We give responses. I do not ask you to pray a prayer here. I ask you what the Bible tells you to do. That is to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the biblical response to the gospel message. Repentance and faith. is a laying it down. Or as one of our brothers is here today says, it's giving him the keys. He drives it. Salvation is a work. Internally wrought by the Holy Spirit. 
And our responsibility as Christians is to present the gospel and to call people to believe. And all who believe will receive the result, eternal life. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the gospel, brothers and sisters, that we must present to the world man's need and God's love and the person of Jesus Christ. So what today? Well, the obvious question, isn't it? Do you believe? Do you believe? If you're watching today online, do you, do you believe? Can I give you a good... This is simple, it is beautiful, but it is powerful. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one is confessed and is saved. I ask you today, if, if we went out with clipboards today, and we, and we set out to talk to every single person in Cleveland County, and I asked them, do you believe in Jesus Christ? What would almost exclusively they all say? Yes, I believe. Here's the question. How do you know you believe? How do you know? Do you have the same knowledge that the devil has? What does the devil believe about Jesus? Is that sufficient? How do you know you believe? Verse 21. And whoever does what is true comes to the light. Why? So that it may be clearly that his works have been carried out in what? God. Jesus said, if you would follow me, you must deny yourself Take up your cross and follow me. Here's the question today. Here's how you know. Is your everyday life a demonstration of the love of God? Bubbling out into your family, into your work, into your finances. I'm going to use myself. Because if I embarrass me or my wife, then... We both have to live with it. (laughs) If you ask me, does Christina love you? I'd say yes. But what would I say if you said, Stephen, how do you know she loves you? Would I say, well, you know, before I go to work, she always tells me she loves me. When we talk on the phone, she tells me she loves me. She Generally gives me birthday and anniversary. You know, usually I'm the one who forgets those things. If you asked me that question, I would probably bring up devotion. She put up with me for 26 years. She sacrificed by placing herself last almost exclusively. Put me first, put the children first. But if I had to boil it down, I would say, she enjoys me. She treasures me. We'd just soon be with each other than anybody else in the world. We enjoy each other. 
It is a joy, you see, when someone is your treasure and someone is your beauty to protect them, to provide for them, to devote yourself only to them and to sacrifice whatever for their good, isn't it? Can I ask you a question? Why would Christ be less? I do not love anybody rightly if I do not love Him chiefly. He is my highest treasure. He is my greatest joy. And it does not make me love my wife nor you less. It makes me love you more. If anyone, Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Brothers and sisters, I say this from love. How dare we offer God our used toys and call it worship? It's not worship. What is worship? It is from the joy of your love and your treasure of Him that you give Him your life as a living sacrifice. And it's when we do this, we have the right context to be able to say, There was a man named Jesus who was sent from God because he was God. And he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and rose again so that you might have life. Will you believe? Do you love Christ? Ultimately the chief question today. How are you responding to him? How are you enjoying him today? I don't know of anything more important today for you. If you're watching online or here. And to go home today and answer that question, if you've got to take the week off, if you've got to drive to the beach or to the mountains or whatever you need to do, you need to come to Christ and say, I want you to be the joy of my greatest treasure because we cannot love anybody as they should be loved if we do not love Him the way He deserves to be loved. Harry Ironside, I'm done, I promise. San Francisco Bay Area is where he lived. He was conducting a meeting for the Salvation Army. At the end of the sermon, a well-known socialist handed him a card. On the card, it said, Sir, I challenge you to debate me with to a question. Agnosticism versus Christianity in the Academy of the Science Hall next Sunday, and I'll pay your way. Ironside read the card out loud for everybody to read, and then he agreed to the debate on two certain terms. First, the socialists bring, a debate, bring to the debate a man whose life had been wrecked by sin, but now redeemed for righteousness and goodness because of agnosticism. Second, that this man, this socialist, would bring a woman wrecked by sin, an outcast prostitute, who had been rehabilitated and now lived a virtuous, happy life because of agnosticism. Ironside agreed to bring a 100 such people saved by the power of This is the power of John chapter 3. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. To take no matter whether you're the religious leader of the community. Or the prostitute. And to redeem them. And to give them a new life. And a new heart. And a new family. And all of them beating for the glory of Jesus Christ. Listen. John chapter 3 is the best news in all the world. It is your message. It is my message. It is our reality. He demonstrated it for us. And listen, he demonstrated it for them. 
Let us go take the message, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel that you have given us. Now, Lord, we thank you that we can respond. We respond in multiple ways, Lord, and you know we're about to stand up and worship, sing to you as part of our response. We are amening your word. We're saying we agree. This is our response, and then we are going to come to the table. And Lord, when we come to the table, we're remembering your son. We are recalling to mind your love that was manifested because he came, because he lived. We couldn't live perfect. Our lives prove that, God. And he died in our place. And yet now, Lord, when we think about the cross, we can say the cross is empty because he is alive. Oh, God, we call this to mind today as we come to the tables. That the work is finished. That you have given us a new family. We will be with eternally. Oh, God, I pray for salvation. Salvation.